blaming violence on movies is nothing new. From John Hinckley shooting Ronald Reagan and blaming the film Taxi Driver to scapegoating violent video games in the 1990s, attorneys have always found creative ways to present defenses for their clients. Was this science fiction action film somehow more harmful than any movie before it? Or is the real answer something more sinister? This week's episode is The Matrix Defense. Fills with dread, probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. I'm gonna kill you. Well, we brought this up in our Backrooms episode and circled back around to it. Is that where we first started talking about it? I think so. I think we talked about it. We're talking about whether or not the world was real. If we're oh, really yeah. in the Backrooms, you think you can no-clip into reality. And if you think you're in a simulation like some of these folks did, makes sense. Can I tell you something embarrassing? Go for it. Last night, I'm yes. sitting on the couch I'm reading all sorts of stuff about the Matrix. I'm working on the outline. And I decide I'm going to try to stick my hand through this pillow. I'm (laughs) going to think to myself, this pillow isn't real. I only think it's a pillow because my mind thinks it's a pillow. It didn't work. But I also don't think I believed hard enough. So my, I'm wondering, if you believe hard enough, will it happen? And there's just a mental block. But you know what? I don't care enough to put myself in harm's way to figure it out. You know what? I will say genius to use a pillow. You didn't say, well, is my hand going to go through this glass mirror or like go through this window? (laughs) It's a soft pillow from Target. Yeah. Say we're this sauce pot from the kitchen. (laughs) No, I think that was a great idea to choose a pillow. Can I stick my hand on this burning oven (laughs) And will I feel it? Probably. Um, I have every time I've done that to myself. <laughs> and I wasn't, it wasn't intentional. Uh, that's a good point, though, because I dated a person that did Taekwondo and was able to chop some, I believe it was wood. And he he talked about it, how it was like all in his mind. He was, I mean, he was a strong guy, but mm-hmm. I, didn't, I don't think he's like a cinder block wood chopping type of guy with his own, just a hand. So it has to have something to do. It's kind of like we talked about if you're a parent and you're hyped up enough that, you know, something's happened to your kid, you can lift a car. Like you can't lift a car, but if your car was on Ella, you'd flip a car up. You'd look like the damn Hulk. So I think what, maybe if you get in the zone. I discovered a strength I did not know I had the other day. What was that? Ella was on one and didn't want to listen, and I was telling her she needed to go to her room for a minute, Um, and she was like, no. So I said, okay, well, if if you don't go, I'm going to carry you to your room, and she was like, fine. I (laughs) picked her up with one arm. She weighs, like, probably close to 50 pounds. I don't know, 40, 42 pounds, I think, is the last time we weighed her. Under one arm. She's, like, like parallel, like horizontal. Yeah, Yeah, like if she was a a cardboard cutout and you're just going (laughs) to... Under under one arm, arm, 
resting on my hip and I carried her all the way from the living room to her room. And then I got back to the kitchen. I was like, I didn't know I had that strength. And Tommy was like, is that adrenaline, man? I'm like, this is what they talk about. (laughs) So I experienced it. Unfortunately, I wasn't trying to save her. I was trying to let her know that she couldn't just run around acting like a butthole and there was going to be consequences. I would also like to say she was totally fine. She was laughing the entire time. So it was not, she was not hurt one bit. And I was impressed with myself. It's like, God, I have a strength in me that I didn't know. To the point of the karate stuff, I think mentally it would be easier for me to do that than put my hand through a pillow because I know mentally I have seen this done and it is possible. Therefore, like that mental block has kind of been released. It's already well. Now it's like this. Now you know you can carry Ella with one arm. You're never gonna doubt that you can do that again. I also have a feeling if she had a hoot doing it, she's gonna start being like, "Are you gonna send me my room? Are you gonna carry me to my room? I'm so bad right now." So that it's a fun game that you've just discovered. She did enjoy it. I uh, and I was um, I haven't carried anything like that, and I don't know how. Probably groceries, but it worked. She came running out to say hi to me once and I went to pick her up and I had picked her up a lot before the pandemic and kids grow. So it turns out they they, they take on mass and as they should. And I have not worked out uh, since before the <laughs> pandemic. So I was like, okay, let's do this. <laughs> so you're impressive, man. One arm strength. That's badass. Well, in the Matrix movie, he says he's trying to figure out how to bend the spoon and the little kid's like, there is no spoon. Mm-hmm. So next time just be like, there is no pillow. And that might be your, psh, that's your secret to getting through. Punch right through it. Punch it. Well, you, these Matrix movies at the time, I remember they were like revolutionary. Oh yeah. People They're still out. classics. I mean, like I watched a breakdown earlier and the guy was very good. I forgot his name. I meant to make a note. I'll send it to you because I know you guys like breakdowns. You've probably seen him, but he, it, he just had a really good personality. He was like, like every college aged that guy when this came out that wanted to show you the Matrix. I'm like, that's exactly what it was. There was always one friend that was like, wait, you haven't seen the Matrix? And yes. then you had to stop whatever you were doing to hear about it. It was a movie that came out and it wasn't just a movie. It became an entire personality. Mm-hmm. And I went to middle school all up through high school with a girl who loved the Matrix movies. She loved she had a black trench coat. She had the glasses like the round glasses and she did Taekwondo. So she also was, I think, attracted to the fighting style in the movie. And I just remember being like, I could never pull that off because if you're dressed <laughs> like that, someone wants to karate fight you. I can't do I took one single six week karate class in Mesquite community center when i was like nine because i was into walker texas ranger (laughs) and still didn't stick none of it it. so i could not be as cool as that but it became almost like a personality and then sadly it got co-opted by like the columbine shooters Mm -hmm. and more kids that were depressed and turning inward and it's very strange to see the genesis of the movie from the filmmakers and then you can't it's like a you can't close the barn door when you unleash it into society the interpretation is what it is jack and uh jack antonoff of the bleachers says that once he releases a song it's no longer his it becomes like the public's because it 
like transfers ownership. And that really stuck with me. And I think it can be the same for movies, too. It's like you can make something as a filmmaker, as an artist, and you might think it's going to be one thing. But then the way it's received by the public and what it becomes is out of your hands. Like Tommy Wiseau in the room. He tried to make this mm-hmm. dramatic blockbuster starring himself and then people laughed at it and he's like no no no, it's a dark comedy <laughs> it's like it, it was not a dark comedy to start but you're right once it's out and it's away from you that's the nature of art is the transformative nature of art is when the whole p- purpose of putting something out into the world is because i say like it's a gift for you but it's just like any gift if i give you a pair of socks you might wear them you might give them away you might put rice in them and tie the end up and make it into a heating pad like i can't I can't dictate what you're going to do with Mm -hmm. the gift I gave you. All I can say is I made it for you with this intention. Here you go. I hope you like it. And that's what the Wachowskis did with The Matrix. And we'll see a lot of people love it. And then a very thin margin of people took it. The And unfortunately, now I think a growing margin of people are taking it a different way. What we're mostly talking about today is the very thin margin of people that took it the very wrong, wrong way. The worst way. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get into it. The blockbuster hit The Matrix was first introduced to audiences in 1999, starring Keanu Reeves, Carrie Ann Moss, and Lawrence Fishburne. The science fiction thriller introduced the idea that reality as we think of it is not what it seems, and that the world around us is actually a computer-generated simulation. Unsurprisingly, this is a difficult and unsettling concept to grasp for the film's main character, Neo, played by Keanu Reeves. Morpheus, played by Lawrence Fishburne, a teacher figure enlisted to show Neo that he is the one, tries to explain the Matrix in simpler terms. I'm putting on my Matrix sunglasses. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Like everyone else, you are born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. I put my fingers together, too. Do you want the red pill or the blue pill? pill. That became such a thing at the time. Mm -hmm. And like when they I love when they download the information to his brain. I remember being like, I'll sign up for the Matrix if I could just know they like zap all the karate, this martial arts info into his head. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I know Kung Fu. Also, hot (laughs) Keanu. Love Keanu. I've loved him since Bill and Ted. At his prime in the Matrix. (laughs) yowzers he like Keanu is like a mountain range that hasn't been explored because he peaks and you think that's the peak and then you keep climbing and bam another peak you never even saw coming baby it's up in the clouds and that's how it was with this you're like oh it can't get any better and then John Wick comes out and then Mm -hmm. I mean he's just but this was transformative role for him that I mean cemented as an action hero he is such a wonderful man can we just stop for a second to have (laughs) A Keanu Reeves appreciation moment. Forever. He is the nicest celebrity. He's so humble. Mm-hmm. Everything you read or hear about him or people that have worked with him or just met him, no one has a bad thing to say. He's so generous. He'll take pay cuts so like crew can can have the pay that they need. And I believe it was the stunt people in this that he he diverted income because he's like, I couldn't do any of this without the stunt mm-hmm. people. Pay them more. He's taken pay cuts so other big name actors can be brought on to films because he's like, this film would be better if they were in it and I would enjoy it more. Yeah, let's work with them. Like, he's very selfless. He's also, like, lives a pretty low-key life. And he just takes the subway. 
he just walks around. He'll just sit on park benches in New York and just eat his lunch. Like he is the most low key, humble celebrity who has also not had a very easy life. And he is just the the pinnacle of what we should all strive to be. I agree. Just kind and giving up his seat on the train and mm-hmm. feeding the ducks in the park. I will never be Keanu Reeves famous. But if I was, uh, that's how I would be. I would just go and just live life. They'd be like, why are you sitting on a bench? Be like, I like to feed the ducks. Right? <laughs> right. They're like, you're weird. Yeah, whatever, man. Me and Keanu. But he, this is, I think, the genesis of him being that superstar. And like you said, I think he gave all the, I don't know if it was the first or the second film, gave motorcycles to the whole uh, yeah. stunt crew and everything. Just to say, this movie, everybody's freaking out. Because those fight scenes, nobody had seen anything like that in cinema. That slow-mo. The, and it was like CG had been, like CGI had been used, but it was used kind of shittily. Like it was fine. Mm-hmm. You know, Jurassic Park's not bad, but The Matrix is better. Of course, it had a couple years on it. But that the, whenever he stops the bullets with his hands, it was so mind-blowing. So he He's like, yeah, I'm just the one on screen. Like the people that actually did all of this, they deserve all the accolades. And also the whole horny relationship between Neo and Trinity. I was like, how is this an incel movie? This is like some horny moments between them. (laughs) They have such like, like raw, almost Mm -hmm. like they don't have chemistry when you watch them together. But I was like, oh, you have sexual, like raw (laughs) chemistry. I was like, what? How did this get co-opted? Yeah, uh, it's it's one of those things where. Anybody can interpret anything how they want, and then they get enough force behind it and like-minded people, and then it kind of just evolves into something that it never should have been in the first place. It takes on a gross life of its own. Mm-hmm. The Matrix became an instant classic, with additional films to the franchise being released in 2001, 2003, and 2021. Neo's character especially resonated with audiences a quiet hero that rises to the responsibility of saving humankind. The film's concept sparked a renewed interest in a theory that philosophers have posited for centuries. We are living in a simulation. However, for some moviegoers, their interest in the idea of a matrix led them down a dark path, preventing them from being able to distinguish between reality and fiction. And the two sequels that came right thereafter in 01 and 03, Reloaded and then Revolutions, it really ramps up the storyline. It ramps up the threat of impending violence of the machines are taking over. The second one's the one where the Agent Smith, he he multiplies a million times and there's like Mr. Anderson, a million of them around Neo. And that, I think, then you see it in the third one and it's this, it becomes like a full scale life or death all stakes, Neo has to be the one to sacrifice himself to save the world, which is excellent storytelling. But if you have a predilection toward being sucked into fantasy worlds, then that imminence and that that this is it, this is life or death, black or white, red pill or blue pill, you got to full commit, jump in, that I think sucks people in thinking ways that they weren't maybe, you know, they were thinking it on their own, but then it gives them like a framework for them to build their delusions around. For people that are lonely, sad, struggling with stuff, I think this is a relatable character because he starts off as, you know, a guy working in an office, a quiet, unassuming guy, which a lot of people relate to. And then, you know, it's discovered that he has such a greater purpose and that the world is depending on him and he's able to, you know, transform into this character that he wasn't before so there's something appealing about that to a lot of people 
the problem is when you start to think, okay, but I can actually be this character and I can actually do these things in my life that's happening on the movie screen and it's going to have the same outcome. And For sure. unfortunately, as we have seen so far, at least my lifetime, that is not the case. Oh, definitely. And you make a good point that his life is you just like a drab office worker. Mm-hmm. And we love those stories, right? Where somebody finds a greater purpose, a greater meaning behind this drudgery or surrounding this drudgery, like severant, no spoilers, say no more, except for it's awesome. Thank you for recommending it. I am now about to just, I got to truck down the list of everything you've ever recommended. Well, it's, if you haven't watched it, I'm not going to say anything, but you got to go watch it. Watch Severance on Apple TV. So that's all. But you'd like to see. I mean, it's there's no uh, hiding it in the poster. It's set in an office. But yeah. anytime you can, you know, like The Matrix, somebody's working in an office and then can find a greater purpose and meaning, that would draw somebody in, which what you said, isolated, lonely, searching for meaning. We see it even in comedies like The Office. Mm-hmm. It's a drab work environment that a lot of people relate to. It's exactly what they see every day. But these lovable characters that find you know camaraderie and relationships and love within themselves and within the confines of their office like gives us hope and it bleeds into our own life and that's positive that's a great thing to be like i'm gonna go to work and i might also find my pam or my jim not though when you're like i'm gonna take a assault rifle and see if what happens in the movies happens when i use this and you're right that the Matrix Part 1, that scene, there is a scene where there's a huge gun battle with an assault rifle. And I heard commentators say, to this point, that imagery is now disturbingly what we've seen play out over and over. You know, like a single shooter in a black mm-hmm. trench coat. And it's exactly what you said is dangerous when you take what you see on the screen and then try to apply it to real life. If you're doing it with The Office, though, Godspeed, that's... <laughs> That's fine. Find your Michael Scott. Find your Phyllis. We all want a Stanley in our office. My, uh, I pulled my tarot of the day. Christy gave me some office tarot cards. My tarot of the day was a Stanley. I think it was the Seven of Pentacles. Nice. But it's Stanley doing his crossword. So yeah, go go find your Stanley. Be your Stanley. Be your own Stanley. Sinisterhood will be right back. By the end of 2003, the Matrix films had allegedly inspired violent acts from at least four defendants in the United States. In April of 2000, just a year after the first film was released, 27-year-old Vadim Masij in San Francisco, California, attacked and killed his landlady. Masij, an exchange student from Switzerland, suffered from ongoing mental illness and was studying computer science at San Francisco State University. Without any warning or prior altercations between the two, Masij murdered 47-year-old Ella Wong on April 30th. She was renting an extra room to Masij, whose neighbors described him as a clean-cut student and apparently had no issues with him for the several months before the incident. After killing her, Masij then skinned and dismembered her body before leaving her torso in Golden Gate Park. This was such an extreme shock to the neighborhood because they said that Ella was super quiet, that she wasn't, you know, going out, didn't have people coming in and out. You know, you just assume, oh, that's my neighbor. And that's the computer science student that rents a room from her. He was super quiet, polite to everybody. That was the every single quote was it was who that guy? Really? It was like shocking. But he had clearly had some sort of a break. Yeah, it's always those things where you're like. 
I would have never thought that. And she, renting the room, probably thought, oh, this is a smart kid going to school, clean cut. You would never know that there was some underlying issues. And then one day he just snapped. He was apprehended days later after an altercation with security guards at a Macy's in Stonestown Mall. When he was arrested, police found marijuana, methamphetamine, and a knife on him. According to police, he suddenly blurted out a confession that he had killed Ms. Wong. When police interviewed him, Massage made a reference to being sucked into the Matrix. He was found not guilty by reason of insanity and remanded to a mental health facility. So this was, I think, the first case where, first of all, the police didn't even say, okay, did you have a reason why you did it? That he just started talking about it in the interview. And we'll see with these defendants, it's almost compulsory that they they are continuing and remaining in the delusion, the prior delusion that they were in. So he commits his murder against her and continues to believe that he was part of the matrix and that it was ongoing as of the time of the interview, several days later. If you're in that mental state, it, you might be sitting there in the police interview thinking this is just like when Neo was being interviewed. You know what I mean? Like if you don't think any of it's reality, then you would think, okay, well, there's not going to be consequences or I'm saving humanity or, or something by committing this act. That is not the case. You've committed murder in a very brutal fashion. And he's right to be in a mental health facility. I hope he is getting the uh, help and treatment he needs. Yeah, because that's the idea that you would be able to kill somebody and not have consequences or that you had to because of this movie. All It drives me like it drives me into this tailspin of trying to make a logical, mm -hmm. logical sense of an illogical situation, because even in the Matrix movies, if you die in the Matrix, which is where we are right now, if the real world is goo pod somewhere that if you die in the Matrix, you die in real life. So I would assume that the, that would abate some of the nihilism that you would feel of, well, fuck it, nothing matters. So we believe in nothing, Lebowski. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote down pretty much what you're saying because I was also having an existential crisis the other night trying to wrap my head around all of this. And I was like, I got to just write this down because I don't understand. I said... Even if we are living in a simulation, why would you think you didn't do anything wrong by killing? The fact remains that even in this, quote, simulation, murder is illegal and known to be so. You see the same shows, hear the same news, and go to the same schools as you would in, quote, the real world. So what I was trying to communicate, and maybe I didn't do so effectively, in the, in the world that they are living in, Every oh god, I see now. I still can't even like explain what I'm trying to say. Like, <laughs> reality within reality within reality. Yeah, I mean, I guess in the, in the case like this, he's clearly mentally ill. So perhaps the world that is going on in his head is completely different from what the rest of us are experiencing. My taking that out. Saying, like, everyone, there's no mental illness involved. I simply think we are living in a simulation. I know, though, that if I kill someone, that is illegal and I'm going to go to jail. Ipso facto, if I kill someone in this simulation, I am going to go to jail 
therefore, why would you do it? Because you know it's not going to have the outcome it did in the movie. That's a good point. And I think it would tie to the broader question of the simulation theory. I think the people that adhere to that would agree that if it's kind of like a video game, or even if you said it's a movie, you know, we are all living a sitcom, whatever you want to say, there's consequences for actions. You can't in a video game, if the mission is to you know take this bag of flour to the other village and help them out if along the way for no reason you're marauding and stabbing people or whatever you get off a of mission you get caught you get arrested then you it's game over right you failed the mission of what you're supposed to be doing so that's a good point that if we all believe that we're subject to this same set of rules even if it's fake because we're in a simulation and the computers want us to think it well unless perhaps and i think that that's the case with some of these they think by taking the red pill and breaking out of the societal norms is the only way then to avoid all consequences and shut it all down and we can see the man behind the curtain. Yeah, there are vigilantes essentially that are going to uh, shatter the illusion of what all of us think is reality. Mm-hmm. Again, in my lifetime, I don't believe that has happened. Well, and the other problem is, like you said, they relate to Neo as a character. And the whole thing of Neo is kind of this Jesus figure, the chosen mm-hmm. one, the sacrificial lamb to save the world. And if you you want a main character yourself and be like, I'm Neo, I'm the chosen one, then you see, well, then I have to do these outrageous things because that's the only way I can, mm-hmm. like you said, save the world or start us over or whatever. That breakdown I watched spoke to how many biblical references there are in the film. And it was very interesting. One, that he is like the a Christ-like figure and just like the the names that they have and how that goes back to uh, like Greek and Roman mythology and everything. It's all very interesting. We'll link it in the show notes. Also, just a lot of the very cool things that the filmmakers did that watching it I don't think consciously for most of it, you'd be like, oh, that. But subconsciously, you're like, it all like just makes the movie more immersive and impactful. One of them being anytime Neo is in the Matrix, everything's shot through a green filter. So it has and it was just like the opening sequence with all the code raining down and everything that is was supposed to mimic like code back in the 90s which led to like the green filter and everything and like the other world is through a blue filter it was all really interesting yeah the wachowskis were some of the cutting edge filmmakers that came out with something like this where it was like hidden easter eggs Mm -hmm. in there there's and a ton in that it gets you like so hyped in it then also it makes you want to watch it over and over Mm -hmm. again to see all what you can catch in july of 2002 Tragedy struck again in Ohio when 37-year-old bartender Tonda Ansley shot Sherry Lee Corbett, professor at Miami University and historic preservationist. Professor Corbett was Ansley's landlady and also provided her with employment. Just after 2 p.m. on July 27, 2002, Ansley parked her car, walked up to Professor Corbett, and fatally shot her at point-blank range. According to the Boston Globe, when police arrived on the scene just moments after the shooting, Ansley told officers that Professor Corbett, as well as Ansley's own husband and two other planned victims, were drugging her and making her have dreams that she said, I found out aren't really dreams. She was charged with the murder of Professor Corbett. This is kind of similar in The Matrix when Morpheus says to Neo, have you ever had a dream 
you were so sure was real, you know, and that's kind of the whole a thread throughout the movie is like, is this a dream? Is this reality? It goes back to like Descartes and other philosophers of is how do we know that all of our life isn't just one big dream? Plato's allegory of the mm-hmm. cave. And you just see the the images projected on the wall. I that's as you were saying that uh, some connections made in my head like I was trying to think and I don't think the filmmakers are at fault at all for the art that they wanted to make. But I was trying to figure out the whole time we've been researching this, why a certain type of person would be attracted to this film and or would be particularly susceptible to misinterpreting the contents of this film. And you hit the nail on the head. The blurring Morpheus sets up and says, oh, I know you think that that's just a fantasy or you think that's just a dream or what some people might call clinical psychologists might call a delusion, Mm -hmm. but that's actually real. Mm -hmm. And if you are perhaps suffering from a delusion, a disorder with a lot of delusions and your medication non-compliant and you don't want to believe or you think people are trying to drug you, well, they might be trying to drug you with the pharmaceuticals that would then stop those delusions. Well, if you've now been told red pill or green or blue pill, mm-hmm. it's it's easy to see, while not on purpose by the filmmakers, now it's easy to see why people in that specific scenario that we're seeing are susceptible to being sucked in like mm-hmm. this. And I don't mean to the literal matrix, just into this misguided belief system. The delusion of it. Mm-hmm. In a statement to the court, Ansley wrote, They commit a lot of crimes in the matrix. That's where you go to sleep at night and they drug you and take you somewhere else. And then they bring you back and put you in bed. And when you wake up, you think it was a bad dream. Ansley thought Miss Corbett was part of a scheme, too. Brainwash and murder me. Very sad. I'm, you know, most likely that is not what was happening. I think she was suffering from a mental illness. But your perception is your reality. And whether you're mentally ill or not, if that's what you think is going on, that's terrifying for yourself it's also terrifying what you might be capable of doing to others oh yeah it's it's echoes of the white rock machete murder where had that delusion of being you know i am a an angel of god i have to slay this demon and the capacity to do that to another human person because you believe that delusion so strongly Mm -hmm. after a trial in 2003 Ainsley was found not guilty by reason of insanity, as she was in a severe hallucinatory state at the time of the crime. She was sentenced to a maximum security psychiatric facility in Ohio. One of the most chilling and famous cases involving the films was that of 19-year-old Josh Cook in Oakton, Virginia. According to Josh, the evening of February 7, 2003, was by all accounts a normal one. He lived at home with his adoptive parents, Paul, age 51, and Margaret, age 56. Paul was down in the basement talking on the phone with Josh's 15-year-old sister, Tiffany. At 7.30 p.m., according to Josh, he finished watching The Matrix one more time, got up from his computer desk, and looked at the poster of the film he had hanging on his wall. He picked up the 12-gauge shotgun he had previously purchased after a late night searching information about serial killers online. He was also caught by Paul searching where to buy guns near Oakton, Virginia, and Paul confronted him about it, and he said, Josh said, I bought this shotgun. He wanted to buy a gun that looked like the one on the Matrix mm-hmm. poster, but was only able to get this 12-gauge shotgun. Yeah, and if you're not in the U.S., you might be thinking to yourself, what? What? 
a 19-year-old was able to buy an, a, a rifle or shotgun? Yeah. yeah. Uh, they're pretty much allowed to buy any kind of gun they want. Yeah. And it was at a sporting goods store. It wasn't like he had to go to a gun show. And I'm mean, at the gun show. You can buy a gun that has to be mounted on top of a truck. It's so big. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's fairly, it, it was a fairly easy process, especially way back in 2003. Josh headed downstairs toward his parents, gun in hand, the song Bodies by Drowning Pool playing through his headphones from his CD player. His father was on the phone with Tiffany still. First, Josh shot once at his mother, who was working on the computer. She survived and dropped to the floor. His father dove down under a nearby table. Josh dropped down to his level and shot twice at his father. He then went upstairs to reload. He returned to the basement to find his mother holding her wound. On the other end of the line, the 15-year-old heard her mom say, Joshua, what did you do to me? You wouldn't. According to the district attorney, Tiffany then heard what she called popping sounds, a number of popping sounds, and the phone dropped. It was in that moment that Josh lifted the shotgun and shot his mother twice at the bottom of the basement stairs in the family's home. Tiffany continued to listen in on the line. She told authorities, It sounded like pans falling to the ground. Josh moved further into the basement and shot his father an additional time in the back of the head. He then went upstairs and picked up the phone where his sister remained on the other line. She said, Josh, what are you doing? Let me talk to Daddy. Josh told her, Hang up the phone, Tiffany. I have to call somebody. And hung up the phone. He walked out to the family's garage, opened the refrigerator, and took out a Coca-Cola, according to his autobiography. He cracked the soda as he called 911. He told the operator, Hello? Yeah, I just killed my parents. I just blew them away with my shotgun. It's a 12-gauge super magnum. Get your asses over here. Then he hung up. Several moments later, he called back as no officers were on the scene. He asked where the responders were, but the second operator was confused. No one had been dispatched. The operator asked why he needed the authorities. Josh replied, I just killed both of my parents. I know I'm going to get the death penalty for this shit. Josh was arrested and charged with the murders of his adoptive parents. Well, all of this is horrifying to the nth degree to be tiffany and hear all of this go down i can't fucking imagine that to be the parents and you just look up they're just both on the computer in the basement working on their own computers doing normal stuff just hanging out yeah they had gone out it had snowed that morning and josh said he remembered going outside in the morning and his mom had picked up snow and said look at all this snow we're gonna remember this day forever Mm -hmm. well he certainly will it's this weird thing where he um, initially, you know, is thinking, I'm in the Matrix. I'm getting pumped up by this music. He speaks in his autobiography and in uh, jailhouse interviews, you know, how the lyrics of the songs were kind of motivating him and almost kind of mirroring like what he was feeling and what he wanted to do along with the movie. But he quickly said as soon as he shot his parents, he realized, what the fuck have I done? Because unlike the Matrix, his mother's head exploded. Yeah, he said it all sort of froze. And then he said he felt totally numb. And he, for 
all of the carnage he has enacted on, you know, his family, not just his parents, but his 15-year-old sister. He talks in his autobiography about his dad, sisters, his extended family, how he's really, you know, crushed them emotionally, obviously harmed the whole family. It's irreparable damage. He now wants to as much as possible, share his story and be really open about it because he said he knows for a fact, he said, I'm not the only kid that's ever felt like this. He was super bullied in school. He found solace in Eric and Dylan, the shooter, the Columbine shooters. He found comfort in this trench coat mafia and wearing this leather trench coat. And granted, that's of its time. That was something in the early 2000s. But he said, kids these days, they might have a different outlet. But he said, they're not giving up those feelings. They're still feeling isolated. You know, he had the internet, so it wasn't like you were 100% isolated. He said they're still going to be isolated and think that this violence is going to be the answer because he said every time I saw violence, when I would watch the movie and Neo would shoot some of the agents or the bad guys, I would imagine my school bullies' faces on their Mm. bodies or my parents' faces, and I got great uh, gratification out of this fantasy And now on the other side of it, he is a cautionary tale being very open. I mean, to his credit, sharing his story in writing and interviews, whatever, saying exactly what you said. When once the trigger is pulled and the bullet has left the chamber, it's all over with that. The delusion is broken. You're not going to solve every problem with the end of a gun. You're going to solve a problem by turning inward, talking about your feelings, dealing with it, not with violence, but he's like, I was there. So I know that the only person that can get through to them is somebody who's been there. He's got a very good point. Even hearing him speak now about it, it's chilling in how normal he sounds when he talks about it. It's just very like matter of fact. There's not a lot of emotion with it. Perhaps that's because of his mental illness or it's just he's talked about it and written about it so much that, you know, it's kind of more of just like, formulaic at this point his biological parents i believe were had suffered from schizophrenia correct they both had paranoid schizophrenia and then we'll see he's diagnosed with simple schizophrenia in initial filings with the court josh's attorneys noted that their client truly believed that he was in a virtual reality world similar to the matrix the defense attorneys also had the opinion of a court-appointed psychologist who confirmed that Josh harbored a bona fide belief that he was living in a virtual reality of the Matrix. Despite his attorneys emphasizing the movie, Josh later disagreed, telling the Boston Globe of the references to the film. It's both right and wrong. I told my lawyer it felt like I was in the Matrix after I did it. The murder didn't seem real. We've heard that from other people that have committed murder, too. You almost disassociate from yourself because it's your brain and body's way of protecting yourself. So I think, you know, after, uh, I can imagine that right after you do that, you're so in shock that you, it doesn't feel real. It's almost like a dream state. Yeah. And he said, so he goes down to the, he goes to the garage, he cracks the soda. He's on the phone with the second 911 or with the first 911 call hangs up and his dad's cell phone rings Mm -hmm. and it's his dad's friend. And the friend said, oh, is your dad available? And he said, no. And the friend said, give him a message that I called. And Josh said, okay. And then hung up. And he said, as he was standing there, it took him a few moments to then remember that Tiffany had been on the phone and just remember her existence at all. And he said, he just broke down and was like, oh, that's 
what I've done is I've mm-hmm. robbed my sister of our parents. And he said, can she ever forgive me? I can't imagine what I've done to her. But it was like, and he he talks about it. And I think that's one of his messages to young people is that the world, you're not the only character in the whole world. You're not some lone wolf like Neo and you have nobody in your, you know, you live in an apartment all alone in the dark. The world is about community connections, reaching out. He's like, now I realize, you know, my, my parents mistreated me. This was not the answer. The answer was reaching out, trying to get help for what was going on. And it took that. It's, it should not take that horrible act of violence to have that epiphany. I think that's what his goal is now is try to wake people up before they're trying to wake themselves up. Had his adoptive parents mistreated him? That is his, that was his allegation. He said that it was a, an instance, uh, maybe a couple months before the murder where he got into a disagreement with his adoptive mom in the kitchen. And he says that she kind of grabbed him around the throat. Mm. And he said that was the last time she did it because she, he grabbed her hand back. And I think she kind of realized, okay, well, he's 19 now he's big. I think he was six two. And he said, you know, that was the last time she ever touched me for a few months, but he just was stewing in Mm -hmm. this, rage and anger that he had and suffering silently with his mental illness as well oh definitely yeah you he holed up in his room hours a day and had he had access to mental health treatment much like the white rock machete uh killer Mm -hmm. it's that likely would have helped at least this instance yeah in his autobiography josh explained how obsessed he became with the matrix after it was released but not for the reasons his lawyer tried explaining. Rather, Joshua was attracted to the violence in the film and its character's aesthetic as it reminded him of the two Columbine mass shooters, who Josh idolized. He wore out his copy of The Matrix videotape and had to buy another one. He felt empowered visualizing himself as the film's main character and spent hours listening to the soundtrack. And the leather jacket that he had, he said he treated it almost like a person, that he would lay it out on his bed and touch it. He said the night of the murder, he touched it for the last time and thought, this is going to be the last time I'm going to be able to have this coat, basically. Mm. Which goes to your point earlier of understanding the nature of the consequences of your actions. That Yeah. If you he are, understood that. If you have that thought before you kill your parents... I would argue in a court of law that it was premeditated and you had uh, knowledge of what you were about to do and that it was wrong. Yeah, you understood. Eventually, Josh Cook pleaded guilty to two counts of first-degree murder and two counts of using a gun in a felony. He told reporters, I wanted to take responsibility for what I had done. He was sentenced to 40 years in prison. And exactly what you said is why I think the at least for Josh Cook, the insanity defense would have failed. I think for the first two perpetrators we talked about, it was the appropriate way, it was the appropriate mm-hmm. outcome, for given their mental state at the time and then their ongoing mental state afterwards. I think Josh Cook had schizophrenia, but given all of his statements that he's made now, I think the, the test is usually, did they understand the nature, character, and consequences of their actions at the time? Because you have competency to stand trial separate from not guilty by reason of insanity. And in this case, I think Josh was fully competent to stand trial. He called police after the accident. He said, I'm on the phone. He didn't say, I'm in the Matrix. I'm Neo. He said, I just killed both of my parents. I'm going to get the death penalty for this shit. So even right there, he's competent, knows what's happening. And then given his treatment of the leather jacket, understanding that this was going to be it. I think he was 
fueled by something that he's trying to work out even all these years later, but he was not so delusional, so believing that he was part of this movie or part of this lore that he wasn't sure. The first two, I believe they they did think that. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was the movie's fault. I think they had a delusionary disorder and were glomming onto the first thing they saw or the thing that spoke to them the most. But yeah, for Josh, it was more angry young man, has this untreated mental illness, easy access to guns, hyped up with violent imagery. I mean, it wasn't like The Matrix is a bad movie and no one should watch it. I don't know that you should watch any amount of things for 24 hours a day. I mean, he just said he played it all the time and he played the... I'm not saying that you can't listen to that, but if you're not sleeping and you're only listening to that and you have an untreated mental illness, I think you start to see a recipe for... It seems like it's it's not real. I've, I'm now part of the movie because all I ever see is movie mm-hmm. and all I ever hear is movie soundtrack and I'm dressed like the movie. It's unhealthy. I also think that if you're watching this movie and like he said, I would see my bullies' faces or my parents' faces and pretend it was them and feel satisfied. At some point, just imagining it doesn't do it anymore. That's true that you want... You want to, and if you've watched the movie so much, it almost may be hard to imagine it anymore because you're so used to seeing the real bad guy's face Mm -hmm. that you want to act it out and you want that satisfaction in real life. But I think he doesn't, and that's probably why he pled out. He said he pled out because soul searching in his silence, talking to, he finally reconciled with his sister. Her big question was just why? Mm. And some extended family refuses to speak to him still, but he's befriended a person on the outside who helped him write this autobiography, and that's become kind of his goal is to try to reach people so that they don't do what he did. But he, at no point, I think his lawyers were trying it because it worked, maybe because it worked Mm -hmm. in those other two cases and because he mentioned it in the initial police interview that, oh, it's going to be another Matrix defense, but I, it's horrifying the act that he did, but commendable to take responsibility and to now try to, as much as possible, do good. Like and the Menendez brothers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can understand family members not wanting to speak with him. I think it's uh, truly remarkable that his sister was able to forgive him and, you know, continue a relationship. That's, you know, why we've said we're against the death penalty is because there is a chance that people are rehabilitated and that if his story can reach someone else that is considering the same thing and then they don't do it, then that is one reason that he, you know, at least he turned it around and did, I don't know if turned it around. I don't know if you ever fully turned it around, but he was able to help someone through his own heinous tragedy and, and actions. Yeah, it doesn't justify what he did, but at least it doesn't make it completely meaningless and and just tragic. And the idea that we're not the worst thing we've ever done, I think when you see somebody say, I'm taking responsibility, I am now going to try to do better, then that's true that they're moving on versus, you know, you see somebody like Ethan Couch who says, oh, I'm affluenza, Mm -hmm. I shouldn't be convicted. And then once they get off that one time, you see him over and over and over, continue to break the law, continue to try to worm their way out of stuff. And in that case, you know, you say, all right, the excuse, just fucking admit what you did. 
and move on and you could do so much better. It's like we talked about with Alec Baldwin in True Crime Headlines mm-hmm. that you don't we don't want you to go to jail for the rest of your life, but you take this really tragic incident and now you have a platform. People are listening to you. What can you do then to go and hopefully help somebody else from this same tragedy happening to them? Mm-hmm. So one good thing coming out of it. Sinisterhood will be right back. Another famous mention of the Matrix in cases came during the 2002 sniper attacks around the D.C. area. Perpetuated by John Allen Muhammad and his teenage accomplice, 17-year-old Lee Boyd Malvo, the D.C. sniper shootings were a coordinated series of shootings around Washington, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, which claimed the lives of 17 people. Finally, on October 24, 2002, the pair was arrested. At the time, 17-year-old Malvo told FBI agents that the Matrix film was the key to understanding him. According to the Washington Post, Malvo's jail cell writings offered a warning. Free yourself of the Matrix. You are a slave to the Matrix control. Malvo was convicted in Virginia on several life sentences, as well as six life sentences in Maryland, without the possibility of parole. So it's, again, an instance where there's mention of the Matrix, but it doesn't rise to the level of being not guilty by reason of insanity. So he clearly still understood the nature and consequences of his actions. It went on for so long. And we were actually talking about this just the other day of what a scary time that was, because it was truly you could just be on your way to work and a bullet comes through your window and and that's it for you. And there was no rhyme or reason to who they chose. It was simply a just heinous killing spree to to kill. Yeah, and you just get out of your car to get gas. You're walking yeah. up, you know, to buy lottery tickets, get a soda, whatever, and you think it's just a normal day, and yeah, it's, it's that might be one we could cover all, like, as a full episode. It was real scary. I, I, remember, I remember that well. But yeah, he it, it just, we see a case where 17 years old, it's not the movie's fault, but you, it's susceptible if you think, oh, the world's out to get me or I'm not part of this world. It gives you, instead of having to create that framework for yourself, it gives you a convenient framework to say, oh, I'm part of this. That explains it. And I'm not responsible. Maybe I don't have to feel the feelings I would if I didn't think I was in the matrix. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it absolves you of a lot. That's true. Though its use has dwindled over the years, the impact of the Matrix films on violent acts has evolved with the prevalence of the Internet. Terminology from the Matrix films has been co-opted by the QAnon conspiracy theory movement. Phrases like, Follow the white rabbit. And, Take the red pill. Have morphed from references to the film to something more sinister. While the QAnon movement seems to have lost steam after Donald Trump's 2020 defeat, some related online communities still use the terminology. And that was something we talked about in the QAnon episode was this white rabbit, where we go one, we go all. It becomes a rallying cry and the concept of waking up, Mm -hmm. the world isn't real. And if you want to perpetuate a movement of mass delusion where people ignore provable truths, telling them, well, I know it says it's a provable truth, but that's actually part of a whole bigger conspiracy. So you can't really believe anything. So take this pill and then whatever we tell you, we're the ones behind the curtain. We're going to tell you. So it's a great, it's just a manipulable framework Mm -hmm. for people's purposes. No, that's exactly it. Is with conspiracy theories like this, 
you can always just make up the next level of it to where it never has to be finite and you can just invent excuses and, oh, no, but that's that's also they're just wanting you to think that, you know, I mean, everything can be nothing because you're just making it up as you go. For it makes me think of on. Do you remember that South Park? It was an old South Park episode when they're all playing. I don't. I can't remember if it's soldiers or what. And they try to every time they try to hit Cartman, he's like, "Um, actually, I have special armor." So, um, <laughs> so it's like every time they would figure out a way to attack him, he'd be like, "But actually, um, I cast a magic spell." Yeah. And it got to be that way. I think with QAnon, a lot of oh well, you can't really believe it because of this. Oh well, it was proven this day. Um, well, actually, what it was was mm-hmm. Q didn't do the drop on the right day or whatever. And so you just see it's just a way to perpetuate the same delusion. It's like with most cults, you know, mm-hmm. they have a doomsday cult has a day in place. The world's going to end. Well, it comes They're like, well, it's because we all didn't pray enough and we didn't. We clearly we need to sacrifice more because we're not worthy yet of of moving on. So and then you've already got all these people under your thumbs. So they're like, all right. Yeah, if you're bought in that much at that point to then mm-hmm. walk away, you're like, well, shit, I'm in yeah, for the, a penny, I'm in for a pound. The planet doesn't end whenever, you know, they say it's going to end. They're like, well, Zorp didn't come and take us back to mm-hmm. the moon planet because of whatever. So, yeah, you just go, all right, well, I guess we'll try harder next time. And sadly, that's what happened with QAnon until Donald Trump lost in 2020. And then you did start to see people, the bubble pop, the delusion set in. But that doesn't mean that the misuse of red pill, blue pill went away. No, and the QAnon is still very much a thing as as well. A lot of people and, don't want to believe that Donald Trump actually lost that election. Yeah, you're starting to see the stop the steal and then all into the insurrectionists. Mm-hmm. And then those people, I think you get disheartened with, oh, well, this QAnon was bullshit. Well, somebody on the Internet is is like, you know, the hanging out going, hey, baby, you sad? I can pick up the pieces. Mm-hmm. I have a new conspiracy you want to jump on board with. And people are ripe to believe it. Yep. Manosphere figures use matrix terminology to perpetuate their misogynistic ideologies. While these may be references intended to appeal to a specific niche group, the use of the matrix framework by violent individuals has not subsided. Several terrorist attacks through the 2010s, like the 2014 Isla Vista attacker or the 2018 Toronto van attack, were carried out by incels who were radicalized online by terminology taken from the matrix and twisted to fit women-hating views. There's a uh, Vice series called Decade of Hate that's really fascinating, Mm -hmm. and they do individual episodes on hate groups that gained a lot of traction, particularly in the 2010s, and how it went from online discussions to real-world violence, and this these two are two of the examples of that exact situation, but if you just go on, like I try to go on, don't do it. Because it's fucking my if you want to do this, if you're tempted to go on our red pill, I have an idea. Go to your local favorite Buffalo Wild Wings (laughs) in the summertime when it's real fucking hot and go and stick your head in the dumpster in the back before the day before trash day Mm. when it's so Mm -hmm. full and so old because it's fucking nasty. And then set the trash on fire and jump in because that's how bad this is. Mm -hmm. But they have a whole glossary of terms and acronyms that they put. I had to go through a thing. Reddit goes, are you sure that you want to? It's quarantine. Do you want to go to this group? (laughs) Reddit was trying to give you an out. Reddit was like, like, listen, listen. I'm going to level with you. It's for work. I got to do this for work. (laughs) They're like, Heather, 
we know what you're into. And this isn't Am I the Asshole? And this isn't like power washing or like animal friendships. This is going to be some real fucked up stuff. Are you sure you want to go down this path? And you said yes. I said yes. It's not my, one of my favorites is the subreddit, yes, 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 no, yes, where it's like things look like they're going good and then it, somebody looks like they're about to like wipe out and then they save it at the last mm-hmm. second. There's also yes, 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 no, no, where <laughs> things go badly. But so I dove in, but they do specifically use this term they have under blue pill. It says from the matrix and its sequels the path of conformity with society's expectations the state of being unaware of the problems engendered by society compare with red pill below and the red pill says the recognition and awareness of the way that feminism feminists and their white knight enablers affect society unaware i'm sorry let me reread this in a different voice red pill <laughs> The recognition and awareness of the way that feminism, feminists, and their white knight enablers affect society. An awareness of the dark truths surrounding human sexuality, hypergamy, women's AF slash BB strategies. Have to translate that up top. Society's feminine imperative, sexual differences in emotional attachment, women's attraction to DT traits, and sexual dominance slash violence. Extremely politically incorrect. Expect reflexive social ostracism for even mentioning the red pill in polite society. Well, I understood about 20% of that. What are all those things? AF slash BB is alpha fucks and beta bucks. What are those? Alpha is socially dominant. Somebody who displays high value or traits that are sexually attractive to women. So like a, a Chad? Uh, that is not listed, but I believe that is correct. Yeah, the, that would be equivalent to Chad's. Beta says traits of provision, either providing resources or validation to others, women and perhaps men. Beta traits display low value to women if they're put on too strong or too early in meeting giving without equity. Beta can be used to describe individual behaviors as well as people who have an overwhelming amount of beta properties. These definitions first fuck off forever, but they're also so confusing and wordy. If you have to use that many words to define something it's too confusing. You gotta, it's, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're trying too hard and they all are a bunch of tryhards because they're all a bunch of dipshits <laughs> who look at women like some formula that they can figure out how to solve and that it's their problem if they're not solvable because our job is to serve them and we're assholes because we want alpha males and not these beta cucks. No, we just want... <laughs> dudes that don't post heinous shit like this on reddit yeah i just want to be with a normal human that doesn't have a glossary to interact with the world the dt reference in the sentence that they said women's attraction to dt traits and sexual dominance slash violence dt is for dark triad a combination of three personality traits narcissism machiavellianism and psychopathy let me just say nothing drives a pussy out faster than a narcissist so (laughs) heads up guys uh yeah that's bananas how about just talk to me like i'm a human person and we could just connect on a human level and then figure out everything beyond that this is chaos what is this also it's very formatted like someone took a lot of time there's hyperlinks it's formatted there's bolding 
take this energy, this psychotic, very online energy, go touch some grass, go meet a stranger, volunteer somewhere. I would find say meeting. <laughs> therapy is number one on the list of what you should do. Step one. These types of groups are so wild to me because you have to know so much to be in it. You know what I mean? Like just reading that, we're like, what are these abbreviations? What does this mean? What does that mean? So it's so insidious and like just you you're so brainwashed and so in it when you finally get to the point of like this is you fully believe this you're speaking a different language you're living a different life like it's just a total different reality and that's a really good point because if you're extremely isolated and alone and I bet that this was uh, increased by the pandemic. But if you're very isolated and alone and you're looking for a place of belonging, whereas somebody in 1999 or to 2003, 2004, before the expansion of social media, the rise of Reddit, things like this, where people can come together around a specific topic so you can find others, you know, on the same hashtag that if before that, you know, a Josh Cook is super isolated and has to be obsessed with the Columbine shooters and imaginary things, you can now find these places online where you're not only just attracted and speaking in the same language, but because you're speaking in this different differentiated terminology, you're thinking, oh, I'm part of a mm-hmm. group now. I'm part of this. And like the reason why X, Y, and Z, <laughs> cult, <laughs> but the reason why all this doesn't work out in my life is because of all the things they're telling me. They're feeding me this information that I want to hear, which is there's nothing wrong with you. You don't have to improve yourself. You just have to do these cheat codes. Like, my dude, it's not a game. We're not, women aren't video games. People aren't video games. Whoever you out there trying to plow, we're not video <laughs> games. Like, the key is not up, down, up, down, left, right, left, start. Like, well, that's, I mean, it could be. Well, I mean, but <laughs> talking about in the, in the bedroom, once you figure out the cheat code, you Gucci. But like, I'm talking about trying to like get with somebody. You can't, it's it's improv. If you want to learn, just delete this and go take an improv course. Right? What was the Vice documentary we watched the other day with the incel? Remember? And he yes. was, the journalist was in his room with him while he was on these message boards. And it was just guys exactly like this that, I mean, not only were they talking disgusting one of them just started shitting his pants in this group this like zoom meeting and they're all laughing about it they're like this is just dale this is what he does it's like maybe that's why dale is single yeah i don't know that it's because dale didn't follow the instructions on the reddit page it's that he shit his pants purposefully on a zoom call also back to your call back to your quote from Jack Antonoff, much like Jack Antonoff, puts a song out in the world and can no longer control it. Zoom Technologies put that out in the world. Oh, and yeah. they're like, we're going to connect people. We're going to bring school teachers with their children on a snow day. We're going to bring relatives from across the world. We're going to bring this guy <laughs> shitting himself for his friends. Cool, 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 cool. I guess we can't stop that. It's fine. You you introduce something with the intention of one thing. It's going to people are going to find a way to do whatever they want with it. There's no control. No control at all. Sinisterhood will be right back. Though The Matrix defense and references to the movies as being more than fiction have come primarily from those with a tenuous grasp on reality, the concept itself is not so wild. The simulation hypothesis is a real scientific argument, which has been both accepted and perpetuated by many well-respected scientists and others. The seminal paper on the topic was written in 2003 by University of Oxford philosopher Nick Bostrom, 
who also had a background in theoretical physics. Bostrom posited that, given the technological advances of humankind, it is possible that we are the simulated result of a prior civilization. David Kipping, an astronomer at Columbia University, put Bostrom's theory to a statistical test. Using Bayesian reasoning, Kipping concluded that the probability we are in a simulation is roughly 50-50, though it is slightly more likely we are in a base reality, meaning not in a simulation. Kipping told Scientific American that once humans develop a simulation with conscious beings inside it, the odds would tip in the favor that we are in a simulation, saying, The day that we invent that technology, it flips the coin from a little bit better than 50-50 that we are real to almost certainly we are not real, according to these calculations. It'd be a very strange celebration of our genius that day. Can you imagine? Oh, shit. (laughs) That's coming, by the way. I'm just saying, ChatGPT can, like, respond. It's not perfect, uh, but that's the scary part. I think having a Sims game where you, you know, uh, lock it in a room and take the door away and it looks up at you and says, really, Heather, is this what you want? This is what you're doing with your life is torturing me. I have a family. <laughs> I have a family. You Get know, me out from behind job. this refrigerator and let me go dreams. to the bathroom. I haven't <laughs> showered in weeks. I'm covered in flies. But yeah, instead of them being like, making sim sounds and like raising their arms with their thing turning red the, mm-hmm. by their thing. I mean, the triangle, whatever, the yeah. diamond above their head. But and can you imagine the game fucking turns to you and is like, really? This is who you gave me yep. as a wife? That's when I light my computer on fire and... <laughs> never speak of it again that's when we're gonna get our dual plot in maine and just <laughs> live off the land yeah you find a nice deserted island out in the middle of nowhere and you call it home yeah nice knowing you ironically california institute of technology expert on computational mathematics humana wadi told scientific american that if a simulation were powerful enough to support our consciousness it would also be powerful enough so that we would never see so-called glitches in the matrix despite his statistical analysis astronomer kipping remains unconvinced we're in a simulation telling scientific american because it's such an overly complicated elaborate model in the first place by occam's razor it really should be disfavored compared to the simple natural explanation It's arguably not testable as to whether we live in a simulation or not. If it's not falsifiable, then how can you claim it's really science? For my own mental state, I'm going to go with Kipping on this one (laughs) because I just can't wrap my head around it. And it makes my brain hurt to think about, quite honestly. Well, I'm not quite finished with it because I could not listen to this book on any faster than one time speed. It's called The Simulation Hypothesis, and it is an MIT scientist, computer scientist, explaining the various background for it, the development of computers and technology and rendering capabilities, and then also where projection of that in the future and how that plays into the possibility, not even probability, but possibility of this even being uh, something uh, so I'm partway through that. It's mind-blowing. Like I said, I have to listen to it on one-time speed because normally I'm like, give me that info fast. And I'm like, I got to digest this. Hang on. I got to rewind that because no. shit is messing with my brain. When you said MIT, I immediately went, okay, I'm well, right. I'm going to need it explained in layman's terms to me. Like the subreddit, explain it to me like I'm five. The explain it to me like I'm five I saw on this was that – Basically, the people in your Sims game don't know they're in the Sims game. 
right. and can't even fathom what's on the outside of it. And so if we're as ignorant as those in the Sims game, somebody or bodies are outside of us. And some people believe it's a one-to-one player thing. Some people may believe it's one big player, which how is that different from Christianity, right? You believe God controls all things. And that God created all things. And we created all things. Like, is that a simulation? If we're all connected in a web of energy, like code in a computer, how is that different from some Buddhism where they say mm-hmm. words like Indra's net? Like, we're all a connected net of energies that reflect one another, and we go back to the net. I, it's it does. It's interesting how it does dovetail with uh, religion, modern technology mm-hmm. dovetailing with religion, and trying to. And to me, it's just well, we've always been humankind search for meaning on a planet. Where do yeah. we come from? Where do we go? Where do we come from? Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> <laughs> and that is what that song was about, is the human experience and what we're all here for. You What's thought it, it was about mean? just pulling on coveralls and putting all hay in your mouth and doing a little jig back and forth. And you know what? That is what life's about, baby. Mm-hmm. Just lean in. But the glitch in the Matrix trick kills me. Have you watched any of that on TikTok? Which one? Oh, Just the, yes. The hashtag glitch in the matrix. I am. This is a trend I'm not on board with. Here's the thing. I'm open to it. I, it's my. It's like me with UFOs. I would love to see a real mm-hmm. glitch in the matrix. I would love to see a UFO. But what we learned from Nelson from the Ghost Guild, when you're investigating in a serious way something that is beyond the falsifiable nature of science. What you have to do is apply scientific reasoning to it and Occam's razor. And I'm happy to debunk a thousand, a 10,000 glitches in the matrix for every one that's really real. And some of them are just like Paris goes, I think that he probably just forgot that he did that. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, forgot you bought an extra pair of glasses is probably the explanation. <laughs> it seems that that's way more likely than there's some glitch in the matrix and whoever's controlling you and your computer brain accidentally put two pairs of the same glasses in your house and you don't know how they got there. Well, the glitch in the matrix on Reddit has a flow chart that you have to go through. And they, first of all, they ask, is it an inexplicable event? If so, first person experience. If so, is it something like a word or a number popping up everywhere? If not, was it a vision, a dream, a thought, emotion, or some other internal event? If not, so if it's real world thing, has nothing to do with random numbers, inexplicable, happened to you, were you under the influence of a mind-altering substance? <laughs> if not, then can it be an explained by chance, even if it was unlikely? If not, do you remember something differently than everyone else, kind of like Mandela Effect? That's not a glitch in the matrix. If not, was it some piece of tech that you that did something crazy if so that doesn't count and if you were at least over the age of 16 so <laughs> i do My appreciate god the due diligence a flow, <laughs> there's a flow chart i love whoever the moderators <laughs> of glitch in the matrix are because it isn't it whenever you go to post apparently this link comes up and says before you post you need to vet your story through this matrix matrix <laughs> and then it's on you there it's the honor system to be like yep yeah. it meets all these criteria i'm posting it i'm done i'm posting it well speaking of mind altering substances we also have to mention philip dick who oh uh, my god <laughs> wrote and directed such science fiction films as uh what? he wrote the books and then they based it on oh those. yeah who wrote the science fiction books like um they later got turned into movies like total recall blade runner bunch of stuff like that minority report great movie 
1977 gave, I don't want to call it a press conference, but for lack of a, a talk, perhaps, everyone in the audience thought they were going to hear him talk about his books that got turned into a movie. It's like when you think you're getting invited over to your friend's house for dinner, and then they're like, I'm so glad you're all here. Do you like the um, dinner that was made tonight? Well, if you if you like this cookware, let me introduce you to how you can have the same cookware. All you need to do is sell. They got, they got swindled into hearing his rants <laughs> for hours. It was also having to be translated into French, which made it extra just awkward to watch but he says we are living in a computer programmed reality the only clue we have to it is when some variable is changed and some alteration in our reality occurs what they don't mention a lot is man did he love to drop acid oh he did things there's an article um in the guardian about the film a scanner darkly which was one of the it was it's another it's one of the final things he philip k dick wrote but that was turned into a movie in like 2003 also with keanu reeves Mm -hmm. but in that article they list off all of the drugs that he did and it was like marijuana mescaline lsd sodium pentothal pcp and then he took so much vitamin c on an occasion that he hallucinated so I a truly enormous dose, um, which caused him to believe that pink laser beams from space were firing information directly into his brain, beginning with thousands of paintings flashing past his eyes, like by artists like Picasso. And it was more paintings than Picasso could have ever painted in a lifetime. So he became became obsessed with explaining these events. And the event is that you took a bunch of vitamin C. Is what I think happened. The event is that you had a wild ass trip, and now you're trying to convince everybody it was reality. Yeah. When um, when he had like his first revelation that all of this was even like a simulation, it was because I think he had dental surgery, and they gave him a bunch of painkillers, and then he went home, and he was still on the painkillers, and he basically had all these dreams and shit that he lived all these other lives and he saw everything flash before him and then it all clicked my dude you're on like vicodin or some or hydrocodone and you're just tripping out yeah well and whatever they gave him at the dentist office uh the reports were that he was constantly on amphetamines so Mm. he was always on amphetamines and then would add marijuana mescaline whatever so it just becomes this cocktail and to the point where they said he had permanent pancreatic damage because he did such a significant amount of drugs listen man i'm not hating on somebody doing drugs i'm just saying if somebody does a shit ass load of drugs writes it all down and you want to enjoy it as a fiction book knock yourself the fuck out but if you want to read it and be like this is the truth Take a minute. Take a step back. Get off the internet. Take and your don't shoes off create and Scientology. Yeah, don't immediately start Scientology <laughs> unless you're trying to get rich, in which case <laughs> it's kind of a good scheme. But we don't need any more evil like that in the world. But yeah, that's that was killing me because we got on the film A Glitch in the Matrix was written sort of a, uh, a little bit about the theory, but and talk a little bit about Joshua Cook's case and it puts in image or clips from this talk that he gave. And which can you just imagine being that French translator that you're like, what? <laughs> we kept looking at him like, okay, I guess I'm going to translate this now. And then it would pan to people in the crowd that just mouse agape, like, what did I sign up for? What is <laughs> like? They're looking at each other like, 
what, what are, what's going on right now? We're yeah, all like, and I don't was, know, man. We're all here. 1977 was that talk. And Paris and I were watching some YouTube breakdowns about Philip K. Dick's impact on science fiction filmmaking. And beyond, like, as part of that, they broke down his rampant drug use. And I was like, man, it's interesting that it's glitch in the Matrix. Sort of glo- left that out entirely. It's not even that they glossed over it. They were like, Philip K. Dick's a genius. Mate, yes, oh, that's fine, sure. But also, there was some, you're you're just, uh, it was a little bit of a lie by omission in my, and, unless they mentioned it. If they did mention it, it was so quick that I didn't even notice. <laughs> and I've seen the documentary now three times. Yeah. Unlike those who use the defense to explain violent acts, the scientists and philosophers who support the simulation hypothesis do not believe any acts of violence would wake us up from the simulation. Escaping the simulation would be as possible as a character from your Sims game climbing out of the screen and joining you on your computer desk. And that's when we all say, we've had enough. Let's shut it down. (laughs) What hath God wrought? (laughs) Can you imagine that little fucking thing crawling out of your screen and just walking across your keyboard? (laughs) And it's just like, see you later. And you're like, oh, okay, bye. Like, first of all, you can't get anywhere. You don't know how to open doors. I got to do it all for you. They're like, I've learned. (laughs) I know where the back door is. And you're like, what? (laughs) Well, I'll just wait. You have to open the door sometime. Mm -mm. Yeah, that is horrifying. But that that should be at least a uh, salve to our concern about this, that it's not that they're perpetuating this hypothesis of, oh, if you annihilate someone in your family or a neighbor or someone that you know, that's how you quote unquote wake up. It's that there is no waking up and therefore we just do the best. I think it's quite uh, optimistic. Do the best, <laughs> best you can. Try to get as many points. It's like the good place, right? Yeah. If, you're, if it really is a computer game that we're living in, let's, why don't you go for the all-time high score of niceness and kindness go. and caring. <laughs> Sinister Hood will be right back. Writers and directors of The Matrix films, the Wachowski sisters, have confirmed that The Matrix is an allegory for being trans and is a trans movie. That fact has not stopped a myriad of viewers from choosing to interpret the film's message or its source material in their own way. When you when you know this and then like I was watching that breakdown or you go back and you watch the films, it is really apparent in so many things that that is the message that they were trying to get across. And in interviews, I've heard uh, in recent interviews, because there's a fourth Matrix film coming out, the explanation was, you know, in 1999, that would not have been something saleable to a studio right. to say, but they have now become more comfortable with discussing the genesis of the film and how it relates to their personal experiences. And I just find it so mind boggling that something that is not for incels, it's not for any of you it's for it, the filmmakers had this intent to tell their story. It has been co-opted and warped in such a way that uh, as much as possible, it's important for us to, I think, bring that back that mm-hmm. it's not your movie incels. You can't, they can try to steal it and try to say red pill and whatever, but as much as we can wrestle that back away from them, I think that's more important than Absolutely. saying, well, fuck it. Let the incels have the Matrix. Like, no, fuck you. The Matrix is a trans allegory. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It just is. It just is. And you can't have it. Well, so what do we think? Well, I'm 
borderline questioning the nature of our reality. Not that I think that we're in the matrix whatsoever. It is a fascinating thought experiment to try to explain because I get deja vu, right? I get a quote unquote Mm -hmm. glitch in the matrix. I swear something was one way and it turns out it's another way. You remember being in a place before you have just the other. I think it was me, you, Tommy and Paris were hanging out. And all of a sudden I was like, we have all had this exact conversation Mm -hmm. And there's a good chance we have that exact conversation (laughs) because we tend to repeat a lot of the same stuff and we hang out all the time. But it was that feeling of this is all too eerily familiar. Mm -hmm. I have had that feeling of I've and and whatever between me and my therapist, whatever you want to think about me for admitting this. But there are days that I'm proceeding through the day and I have this subconscious that it pops to my conscious epiphany of oh I've lived this day before and it'll be okay and I'll, there'll be moments when I get to a moment and I have to make a decision you're going to turn left or right you're going to get this for lunch or this for lunch and in my head I think better not do the right one and I don't know why but I just go all right and I just listen more and I do that I've also a gut every day, instinct kind of kind of instinct but it's not even like mm, my gut feels like it would be a good idea it to do this thing it would be beneficial for me to do this thing it's a voice that says you've already done the other one and it doesn't go well. Mm. And I do that thing. It's I, maybe, like I said, it's between me and my You're getting a do-over. To talk about. It does sometimes. And it's not every single day and it's not even every single month. But there are instances where I do feel like, oh, this does feel a bit like a do-over. This feels like I've I've made these choices before and now I get to do it better this time. And it could it just be uh, we trick our brains into all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can there's parts of your brain they can poke at and make you feel like you're, you know, on fire or whatever. And you're really not or vice versa. You know, there's numbing agents where you're being cut open and you can't feel that you're being cut open. So what is the nature of reality then? Right. If we can block the pain receptor and block mm-hmm. the feeling receptor, are you really is your chest cavity really being opened and you're having heart surgery? Well, I can't feel it. So it's not real. So it makes you question the nature of reality. I think. The danger of any art, blaming any violent acts on art, is always what you said before, going back to old Jack Antonoff, when you put art into the world with a pure intention of, hey, this is my story, especially with the Wachowskis, like this is an important story of my journey, you can't expect what happens Mm -hmm. and for it to get bastardized and stolen and all that. You just can't expect it. All we can do as fellow consumers is go, oh, red pill people? Fuck you. No. The Matrix is a good sci-fi action movie with the fucking angel. <laughs> An angel at the lead. A gorgeous angel at the lead. Keanu Reeves would fucking never uh-uh. like you people. He would, You know what? Actually, he would. He would sit on a bench and he would share a sandwich with you and he would listen to what you had to say and he would help you realize the wrongness of the nature of your actions and how you should be nicer to people. Well, he's the one, so it makes oh sense. Oh, God. He is the one. I do. I agree that I think it's an interesting thought experiment i think the problem with any type of theories like this is for some people at some point it tips into being dangerous i also think it's dangerous for someone like philip dick to sit down in a room full of people and be like this is what's happening because i experienced it and this is true when you were on a bunch of drugs 
that is dangerous for sure. And and for ha- to have people go, uh-huh, and lap it up. I'm not saying don't read Philip K. Dick novels. By the way, that guy in that movie, I told you, he kept going, Phil Dick. One of the guys they interviewed in A Glitch <laughs> in the Matrix, and it sounded like Mo. Phil Dick! Is anybody <laughs> Phil Dick around here? He kept going, Phil Dick wants to do this. Phil Dick, like just Philip K., you can spare the extra syllables mm-hmm. so you stop saying Phil Dick. But old Phil Dick, it's one thing if you want to read his books, it's he, they've been made into fantastic movies and, you know, the messages of those, I think there's something to be learned from, you know, do we want to have this surveillance state over us or whatever, but there is an inherent danger of hanging your hat on the philosophy of a single person, particularly if the single person's brain is just Campbell's thick and chunky soup Mm -hmm. up there because of all the junk that they've dumped into it. Mm -hmm. So you can enjoy their art, but I think you don't necessarily need to take it and create a framework and lifestyle around it. Like you can, especially if the person is not cognizant of what they're saying, maybe. I mean, by 1971, he thought the CIA was like chasing him, breaking into his house and it's not the most reliable source no it's six years of further drug use and brain melting he made that speech so ah take it with a grain of salt well and that's the thing is i think anytime we talk about something like this what i take from it is we need more mental health resources for people that need them especially troubled teens that you Mm -hmm. know are don't have anyone to turn to or feel like they have anyone to turn to. So they turn to cinema or books or music. And if you're already in a place where you're not stable and then stuff like this starts feeding into your brain and then maybe you read other people's, it's like, no, this is real. I, I've experienced it too. You know, I mean, it just perpetuates what you already thought and now you're like, okay, this is reality. This is real. And then you kill your parents and you quickly Mm -hmm. realize, oh, no, I was wrong. All of this was wrong. And by the time you realize that it's too late, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's gasoline on a on a match. Mm -hmm. There was a guy I'll try to find the link and put it in the show notes because it's fascinating. There was a a gentleman who was doing a speech about trying to reach more young men who turn to violence and finding early on issues of uh, lack of male role models, you know, and not just, well, you know, they maybe don't have a dad in the picture or whatever, but even like they don't have teachers. They don't have because there's a dearth of male teachers, somebody that they can look up to, they can emulate and also lack of having of early intervention in mental health situations of recognizing, oh, well, that kid's being just a bad kid versus, oh, that kid's exhibiting these impulse control issues or depression or he's super anxious. That's why he's acting this way. Not that everybody immediately needs to be medicated, but just having, oh, how can we intervene to Mm -hmm. best facilitate your learning and your just development? He talked about boys maturing slower than girls and does there need to be a disparate uh, school start age where, Mm -hmm. you know, girls maybe start at five and boys maybe start at six only so that there isn't uh, frustration because they Mm -hmm. feel underdeveloped and they get mad and they lash out. And so I thought it was really interesting to take that problem we have where it's these a group of angry isolated people who've now found themselves and just amp each other up and are angry and angry and angry until you have uh the 2014 california attack or the toronto van attack where you have this explosion of anger and then when that happens they called the guy who did the 2014 
California attack Saint. Saint. I'm not even going to say his name because fuck him. He doesn't deserve to be famous. But they refer to him as a saint and like the most amazing person. And then all that does is then say, oh, well, I need to do that. Well, I'm not saying it's too late for all of them. But I I do think that's something we can move towards of Mm -hmm. tracing it backwards and going, well, how do you get so isolated and angry? And where can we go back and try to help? I think that's one of the best ways that we can all learn is, you know, you learn from your mistakes and we learn from others' mistakes too and tracing it back to how did we get here? Like we say mm-hmm. with anything, if you're upset about a law in your city or whatever, like think like, what can I do to change it? How did we get here? Where did this all start? And that's the place that you got to start from. And I think with most stuff, it involves everyone having a better understanding of mental illness and just being more compassionate, being more mm-hmm. in pe- your kids' lives, being more open to therapy, help, whatever. And kindness. Yeah, I think kids these days are, they seem to be trending more toward kindness and into inclusivity. I that I is hope. my hope. Keeps I me hope. up at nights to think at about it. At least I am. I'm trying to trend toward more kindness and inclusivity and listening. So well, to your point, too, of kids boys and girls like starting at different um ages and stuff because they learn different that's why i really like the montessori approach like where where ella goes to school is because you're in a classroom with three-year-olds to six-year-olds and the whole idea is because we don't all learn at the same pace we also don't all in like we're not uh sparked or inspired by the same thing some kid might be really into math somebody might be really in english or art or whatever so having the ability to like learn how you want and Mm -hmm. feel like you're being supported because of the things that you're naturally drawn to and not being forced to do something that is difficult and maybe you also are more advanced so you're in a class with a wide range of kids and you know so it all kind of balances out do the older kids often help the younger kids? That's a whole the whole part of it. Yeah. Is, See? Is like one reason they say you should, you know, stay in Montessori and not just like put them in for a year and then pull them out is because part of it is getting to be that older kid and getting to help the younger kids and having that sense of responsibility and pride and and that's kind of like, you know, the biggest part of the transformation. So I don't really know. This is all just a, I'm um, just banging the drum for Montessori. So <laughs> No, that's a good point. Because when you receive kindness, it's a humbling thing. As Even if you're tiny, you know, if somebody that bigger helps you, how good that feels. Mm-hmm. So then when you are bigger, then you get to be the hand that extended. And I think that's beautiful. Yep. And, and it feels Ella good is such to help a good people. helper. So oh, well, it's just because of y'all. Y'all are good. Y'all are helpers, too. <laughs> helpers making helpers. We can all be. You always said, you said that last week. Mr. Rogers, look for the helpers. Well, if, you, if all of us are, we don't have to look very far. That's very well put. We love providing sinisterhood to you at no cost. So if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We're a small operation, creating the show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show. 
as a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like ad-free episodes, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the Rolling the Airwaves and getting into a tier. Special shout out to the Patreon Facebook group. We recently had a thread that made me openly weep in my office Which as I one? read it. When they uh, someone asked, why do you think this is the best online community on the internet? And... Uh, all the responses were just like, this is my safe place. It's my Aww. happy place. I feel so supported here. Everyone feels so kind. And I sobbed. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Y'all are amazing. And we love you. A special shout out on the show, a monthly bonus mini. So this month is our uh, Murdoch trial update. We also have patron exclusive video and audio content, including Am I the Asshole, Relationship Advice, Judge Christie, Dear Sinister coming at you this week, True Crime Headlines, and more. Plus, patrons in our Getting Into It tier are able to vote on a bonus ca- content segment each month that they would like to see live streamed. You're going to be listening to this on Wednesday, February 1st. So you will have missed the live version of our January live stream because it's going to be the 31st. But I'm going to tell you, hilarious. Got a whole slideshow of shit that's been going on in my hometown. And you're going to love it. You're going to love it. I'm very excited. You also have the fun perk of access to our Discord server, where you can connect with other fans in real time and discuss the latest in true crime, share personal ghost stories, or just post adorable pictures of your pets. We hop on occasionally, and we host monthly Q&As on Crowdcast, where you can ask us all your burning questions. For patrons not in the U.S., you have the option to pay in pounds or euros, saves you the cost of the conversion fee. Annual memberships for all tiers are also now available. When you select this option, you're rewarded with a free month of membership. For more details on all of this and specific member tiers, visit Sinisterhood.com and click Patreon on the top banner. And make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. You want to get some cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos? Visit Sinisterhood.com and click on shop on the top banner. The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. You can also share any episode by clicking the three dots in the top right corner and share topic-based playlists from Spotify by visiting Sinisterhood.com slash playlist. All of this means so much to us and really helps podcasts like us get more exposure. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod, like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood, and you can head to YouTube and TikTok at Sinisterhood Podcast. I got to tell you, if you are not following us on Instagram or TikTok, I pity you. You're missing out on some fucking cinema award-winning videos that Heather makes. Uh, I'm not even me making the videos. Pedal pick me up. Pedal pick me ups. The videos I make, I I take my time. I do them thoughtfully because I want you to enjoy them. I would like to visually represent what it doesn't fucking matter what I make because (laughs) any video of Pedal just eating a strawberry and by the way, 100% earned it. It gets. More engagement than any post we've ever posted, <laughs> literally in the history of the account, and it's just completely rightfully so. Like she's just majestic. So she's inside pod. right now because it it's snowing and icing here in Dallas. It's very very cold, and Extremely. she can't be outside. So she's been um, she's been just all over the house. She's a, a sweet little baby. And we love her very much. And every night now we feed her things and film it. It's amazing. And I love it. So keep your <laughs> eyes peeled for more Pedal Pig Me Ups for that little serotonin boost. Where are you at on the internet? Uh, you can see Pedal on my account, too. I'm on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and Twitter and TikTok at Christy or GTFO. Heather? 
I'm on uh, Twitter at MCK versus the world and on TikTok and Instagram at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shout outs. Demetria Walker. Emily Maxwell. Sherilyn R. Jessica Del Bosque. Thunder Kitty. Whitney Harden. Kira. Samantha. JC. Lanessa Kukendall. Faye McKay. Amy Bean. Carla Toledano. Whitney Oppenheisen. Christina Zatola. Angel Heath. Haley McRitchie. Caitlin Stark. Angie Ferguson. Sarah. Steph. And Mama Mystery. Mm. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. We could not do this without you. We hope we pronounce your names correctly. We sincerely appreciate all of the love and support. Stay healthy, stay safe, and keep it creepy. <laughs> Sin is-